above everything else, I'm a Catholic, as Günther Simmermacher, but I am also I'm a professional journalist. And as a journalist, it's not my job to do PR for the bishops or for the Vatican. I have to reflect truthfully and fairly what is happening. This is Expanding Horizons. Candid conversations, passionate people, important issues. Produced by the Jesuit Institute, South Africa. Next year, South Africa's Catholic Weekly, The Southern Cross, celebrates 100 years of publication. Gunther Simmermacher has been with the paper for 25 years and almost 20 as editor. He's here today to talk about Catholic media in general, as well as the specific challenges around editing a Catholic newspaper. I am Russell Pollitt, and this is Expanding Horizons. Gunther, thank you very much for coming in and agreeing to do this podcast with us, all the way from Cape Town as well here in Johannesburg. It's good to see you in this part of the world. Gunther, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from, your background, your hobbies, uh, what keeps you going? You don't want to make me start talking about myself, do you? I mean, I'm a journalist. I talk about other people. Well, I was born in Germany. I came here as a young man with a very little knowledge of English. Well, I thought my English was fantastic, but uh, when I wanted to go to school, uh, they said, well, your English is pretty rotten. I think I've improved with my English since then a little bit. For a long time, I worked in the hotel business as a very young man because of my lack of English, and I had to catch up with my academic studies as I got older. So I was in the hotel business for quite a while. And I must say, I started working when I was 16 years old as a waiter in silver service. And that is the best training I could ever have asked for. It taught me how to prepare things, how to be meticulous about things, you know, to make sure the mustard pot is clean, that sort of thing. It taught me so much about people, humanity, how to find compromise, all these things. Working in the hotel business, to me, was a university of life. And then, of course, the academic studies came in and I engaged in the university of academia. And then somehow I stumbled into journalism through various ways. And one day, suddenly, I find myself with a Catholic newspaper. That is now 25 years ago almost, and I've been with the Southern Cross ever since then. The Southern Cross has been around for 100 years. You're going to be celebrating 100 years of the Southern Cross next year. And you've been there for a good chunk of the 100 years. I mean, what, a quarter of the 100 years. Why the Southern Cross? Well, there was an ad for the position of writer, sub-editor, and I applied for the job. The late Father Bernard Connor, Dominican priest, he was the editor at the time, and uh, Noel Brains, also late, uh, who was the business manager, interviewed me. And uh, I think that I annoyed them a little bit in that interview because they asked me, what do you have to offer the Southern Cross? And I didn't quite want to tell them that Southern Cross was a pretty awful newspaper at the time. I mean, we were talking back in 1994. But I told them anyway that I think that I can help jazz it up a little bit. And poor Father Bernard, he gave me a glance that gave me to understand that I'm probably not going to get this job. Mm. So somebody else got the job. And uh, after the three-month probation period, that person didn't work out. She has done since then very well in journalism, has also become an editor. And uh, I got a phone call from Noel Brains asking, do you want to work for the Southern Cross? And there I was. Just before that, my son was born. I was unemployed. And it was a bit of a desperate situation. And I prayed to God to give me some sort of help. And well, he looked in-house. So I got that gig, and ever since then, every attempt that I've made to leave has been scuppered by by all kinds of goodwill and promotions and stuff like that. So I think that me staying with the Southern Cross may be as much my choice as God's choice. You started to work there. 
when the country moved into the new political dispensation. And things have moved very rapidly in the country, in the church, but also in the media in 25 years to sit back and to look at where it was then or how media was done in 94 and how it's been done now. Oh, it's a completely different thing. Back in 1994, there was really no internet to speak of. As the internet became a thing and the newspapers started putting all their stuff for free on the internet, I was very disturbed by that then already. I mean, we're talking about late 90s, because, well, if you put things up for free on the internet, then nobody will want to pay for anything anymore. So the mess that the media is in now, that could have been predicted. But it's changed everything, of course. Uh, I mean, we are sitting here now doing something that in 1994 we wouldn't have thought of. Mm. There were people who used to make tapes, speaking on tapes as a way of sharing information, but that would be very, very limited. This is now mass communication, and the reach has increased so much. But I think that the internet has also changed, not just the media, it has changed communications in general, and not always for the better. I mean, in the last few days, quite a few church leaders have complained about the sort of tone that people adopt on social media when they are discussing church things, debates that should be informed not by mutual hatred and antagonism, but should be marked ideally by Christian love, which mm. is, of course, hoping for the best. But nevertheless, that is a huge change. In 1994, well, we had letters to the editor that would be unfriendly, but uh, not quite on this kind of scale that we have now. Mm-hmm. The Southern Cross itself, give us a little peek into a week in the life of the Southern Cross, how it comes together, what you do there from day to day and how far ahead you're working. Because obviously print is very different to online where you can put stuff up straight away. You've obviously got to have a plan. You've got to have a deadline every week to make sure that that newspaper gets out. It's got to be transported across the country to various places. Give us a little peek into a working week at the Southern Cross. Well, the working week really starts beginning of the year, actually in December already when I'm planning out some of the features that are going to run throughout the year. So I'll be looking in December, early January, I'll be looking at what are the feast days, what are the anniversaries, what are the great occasions that we have got to prepare for. So if somebody sends us a feature in two weeks before we go to print and say, well, can you run this feature? Normally, no. By now, the features are planned. The columns are normally planned as well, almost exactly week by week for the rest of the year with certain holes in them to give us a bit of leeway and publish guest columns. So uh, the columnists are being informed as well when their column is going to be due. So all these things, they are managed quite a long time in advance. The columns, of course, come in not at the beginning of the year. They come in sometimes two days before we go to print. Mm. The news cycle, well, it differs. Uh, Sometimes we know already what's going to happen, uh, let's say, on Monday, and we know already, okay, the Pope is going to do ABC on Monday, so therefore on Monday we are going to get cracking on that particular story or look which Catholic news agency is going to give us the best coverage of that particular event. And sometimes we have got very little by the time that we are going to print and we have got to chase after some sort of story. But the stories always present themselves. For some reason, every week we have, if not an overflow of stories, we always have enough to put in. So there's always something interesting to say and report about uh, the Catholic Church in Southern Africa. How many people are working at the Southern Cross? As uh, Pope John Twenty-Third said, about half. <laughs> but uh, we have an administrative staff of... Uh, Altogether at the Southern Cross, I think we are at the moment nine people, including administrative and editorial staff. So we've got a very, very small staff. So when people say, well, can't you come to Johannesburg and cover a particular event on a Sunday? Normally I have to say, mm, difficult. 
It's difficult because we are only really four people who are working full-time in the editorial office. And one of those four people is uh, our digital editor, who certainly needs a bit of rest <laughs> after uploading all kinds of uh, things on social media for the whole week and populating the website and also contributing to the sub-editing and the page layout of the international pages. So everybody is going to play it very full. But then we also rely on people to tell us what happened. And then we can bang these things into a story. So that is, there's of course the flip side of it, that we don't necessarily have to be in a place these days because people can tell us what happened, can send us pictures, etc. So on-site reporting would be the ideal, but it's not always possible. The Southern Cross, in the last couple of years, it's no secret that very often you've had to talk about its future, talk about its sustainability, especially in a very competitive media world where print is, in one sense, on its way out as digital medias take over. I mean, that must be quite a strain for you and for such a small team. It is a, a huge worry. I mean, every time we see a parish cancelling the orders of the Southern Cross or portions of the orders, that is discouraging. We are trying to do our best and their people do not want to have the product. But what we also have realized is that many of those people who don't buy the newspaper anymore look up the content on the internet, on our website, and rely on Facebook and social media. And I can't be a hypocrite. I rarely buy newspapers myself these days. So I can't really go out and say, well, these people, look what they're doing. And I'm doing the same thing. Some people still love the newspapers and uh, they love the feel of newspapers. And I think it's a very important thing with the Southern Cross. I think it's a very important thing that you have a tangible thing to hold in your hand that says this is Catholic news. This is who we are. And I think the Southern Cross is not just an organ of news and opinion and reflection, but it is also a tradition in the Catholic Church here in Southern Africa. If you have a Southern Cross on your table, that says you are a Catholic person who is engaged. So it is a tangible expression of our Catholic being as Southern African Catholics. So that's how I hope that the Southern Cross can be used as well, not just to be read, and it is being read, and people are passing it around uh, in, in great numbers, we know that, but also as a badge of one's Catholicism. The question is always asked, of course, what does the circulation look like, just so that people have an idea of the Southern Cross? It's dropping all the time. I haven't seen figures for the last few months, but I think we are at about 7,500 or thereabouts, and we estimate that we have got about four to five readers per issue on average because the Southern Cross does get passed around. So circulation is about that, and uh, that gives us a readership of about what, 25,000, 30,000 thereabouts. Mm. And in a population of about, what, five to seven million Catholics, that's really uh, quite small. Always used to be the problem with the Southern Cross. I saw an issue from the 1950s in which the editor complained that they were selling only 20,000 copies. And even then, it was a question, why don't the Southern African Catholics pick up a Catholic newspaper? Mm. Uh, it's always been a problem. I know that here in Johannesburg, Archbishop Buti has been pushing for parishes to increase the orders of the Southern Cross. And uh, he's been quite forceful about it. And I wish more bishops would be more forceful about it. I mean, just imagine if every parish in the country just decided, well, we are going to push it so hard that, that we are going to sell, what, five extra copies. Mm. that would safeguard the future of the Southern Cross. Mm. Do you tend to see it as something that really is sold in urban areas, but in rural areas or semi-urban areas, it's a little bit more difficult? 
Well, in rural areas, of course, it's difficult because English is not a widely spoken medium in those areas. But in urban and semi-urban areas, there's no reason why parishes should not stock the Southern Cross. English is being read. I mean, there was a time, over 20 years ago, I had just become managing editor of the Southern Cross. That was 1998. And I was at the board meeting and I said, well, when are we going to start promoting the Southern Cross in African parishes? Because the Southern Cross was had no presence there. And one of the board members said, well, but do Africans read English-speaking newspapers? And almost fell off my chair. Of course they do. I mean, so Red City Press, etc. It was a failing on behalf of the Southern Cross not to pursue that readership. That changed in uh, about 2005 when St. John Paul II died and we produced an extra issue outside our normal dating. And that issue was very popular. We performed every parish in the country and asked how many do you want? And uh, we had to reprint, and it was a huge success. But the upshot was that for many people, that was the introduction to the Southern Cross. And now we have got some really faithful readers across the demographic spectrum, at least in urban areas. Mm. And that is reflected also in the pilgrimages that we are running. So the Southern Cross being a newspaper for you know purple-haired white grannies, that is an old myth. That really does not apply anymore. We've got a pretty wide readership, also younger people as well. That's, again, something that people don't quite realize, that the Southern Cross has got a fairly good readership of younger people. It is my perception that Catholics in Southern Africa generally, if one looks at the thin spread of media that we have, Catholic media specifically, don't really take ownership of and don't really honor their own Catholic media in a way that, for example, one would see in the States if you look at the numerous productions. I mean, do you think there's something in that and why do you think that is? That's a very difficult question, why that is. There seems to be an attitude among Southern African Catholics to keep their heads under the parapet. I have the impression that there is a certain lack of pride to identify yourself as a Catholic, although there seems to be a need to do so. I see that on social media. I mean, a few weeks ago, I set up something called a hashtag I'm staying Catholic group. And the idea of that group really is not to have any kind of debates about the church. It's not a news group, anything like that. It's a group where people can share things that build them up in their faith. And that grew really, really quickly. So it indicates that there is a need for people to express their Catholicism. But it seems that we have not succeeded as the Catholic Church and as Catholic media to get people to embrace what we put out as those signifiers of that Catholicism. In Catholic media as well, if one looks at the spectrum in the States, and I certainly don't think the States is the blueprint, but there's a real division in Catholic media by more progressive Catholic media that want to engage and other Catholic media who see themselves as defending orthodoxy or simply putting across a one-sided position where you are not able to express any opinion other than what they consider to be the official opinion. There's a tension there. And do you think that plays a role in Catholic media in South Africa? Well, in South Africa, we don't have those echo chambers, at least in traditional media. With social media, of course, that has changed. So, so there yeah, are, And that's what my concern is. Yeah. Has that division in the States and people having access to that, has it in some way almost meant that our own Catholic media here, if it's not taking a position strong in this or that direction, is seen as a lesser than those media that one can access on the internet? I think there are people who really appreciate what the local Catholic media and especially the Southern Cross is doing in creating a forum where people can come together. And I think that is the strength of the Southern Cross. It's one of our big challenges 
in the Southern Cross that we have got to cater for, as the only Catholic newspaper, the national Catholic newspaper in the country, we have got to cater for all kinds of viewpoints, for all kinds of experiences, for all kinds of demographics, for all kinds of geography, and so on. But that is something that has also been a strength for the Southern Cross, that we have been an organ that has brought people together. Just to give a little anecdote about that, uh, for a long time before I became editor, there was a fellow who used to write to the Southern Cross on a regular basis by the name of V.G. Davies. He was quite famous in Cape Town, certainly, for being this great defender of the Catholic Church. He was mm. very conservative, but uh, he, he would write shortish sort of letters and to the point, and they would get published by secular media and by the Southern Cross. Now, V.G. Davies was not particularly excited about the idea of me becoming editor, and I know that because when he was informed that I was going to become editor in 2001, he turned on his heel and walked away. He mm. was not a fan. And then I did my thing, and uh, for a few months, within a few months, uh, I sort of created a whole new perspective of the Southern Cross by, by being quite brash in challenging uh, the institutional church on a couple of questions. A few months later, V.G. Davis phoned me to ask for a correction to one of his letters. And at the end of the conversation, he said, you know, Mr. Samaham, I'm really enjoying reading the Southern Cross these days. And that to me was a huge compliment because that showed that someone like V.G. Davis was also interested in knowing what people from other philosophical and ideological camps are thinking. And that has been a strength of the Southern Cross. In America, it's echo chambers everywhere. If you are liberal, you are going to read a liberal newspaper and you are going to subscribe to liberal websites and, and Facebook and social media groups and so on. If you are very conservative, well, you are going to go to conservative publications and radio stations and social media. Here in South Africa, I think it has been a little bit broader. I think here in South Africa, we have been benefiting from having a thinner spread of Catholic media available to us. And so we have had chance of encounter with uh, people who do not quite think the same way as we do. Whether it has made us more tolerant or not, I don't know. I mean, mm. on social media, we have also some people who are virulently anti-Pope Francis. Mm. I mean, there was, there was one fellow who was running a Catholic Facebook group who prayed that Pope Francis would die. Mm. And he has got some sort of following as well, I presume. Mm. Uh, otherwise, he wouldn't have been so successful. So that sort of attitude, that sort of uh, cultural warriorism that we see in America certainly finds expression in South Africa as well. More commonly, I think people, even if they're conservative, are also open to hear a more liberal point of view. And uh, people who are liberal are also open to a more conservative point of view because with the thin spread of Catholic media in this country, we've been sort of conditioned to be like that. Mm. How as an editor do you keep all the stakeholders kind of happy and balanced? I mean, you would have people expressing opinions, for example, that some people in the hierarchy wouldn't like, or some more conservative people, or some more progressives. It's quite a fine line sometimes to keep everybody happy. It is a bit like a tap dance on dental floss sometimes, but uh, <laughs> sometimes you just got to accept that not everybody is going to be happy. Mm. And that is part of the cause. But again, I think people don't necessarily mind being challenged in their opinions. Some people do, of course, but mm. some people, they will then tell me, well, I did not like what you wrote. A few weeks ago, I wrote an editorial on the ban on spanking. Mm. And one faithful reader said, well, in that editorial on spanking, you wrote complete rubbish. Mm. And... 
I've got to accept it. I've got to take it. And I don't think I agree with him. Mm. I think my editorial was actually fairly balanced. But be that as it may, as an editor, you have got to take that as well, that people are going to be unhappy about what you do sometimes. And you hope that most of the times they're going to be very happy. And of course, there are some people who are going to discern some sort of agenda in the Southern Cross. And well, that I think is the experience of every newspaper editor in the whole world, mm. that there are going well, to be media people, often. In media in general, accused yes. Accused of having agendas. Exactly. So, I mean, of course, we've got an agenda as well. Every media, every individual has got an agenda because mm. we've got a particular perspective. So, no newspaper can be totally unbiased. But what a newspaper and every media outfit would have to be is to be fair. So, to give everybody a fair hearing. So, as a Southern Cross editor, I've got to give a fair hearing as well to people with whom I would disagree. Mm. I've been accused once of only publishing letters I agree with and... I cannot see how that is possible. I would be completely mad mm. to agree with everything that is being published in the letters page because there's such a wide spectrum of opinion. Mm. And some of those opinions are expressed in a very cogent and clear and intelligent way, and some of them not quite so much. Mm. So I've got to give everybody a hearing there without even remotely agreeing with some of the things that they're writing. Mm. Looking forward in terms of the Southern Cross, what or how do you see the Southern Cross moving into the next hundred years? Well, the, the printed Southern Cross is going to fade away at some point. Mm. We are at the moment at that point where the revenue from the printed Southern Cross supports our digital presence. Mm. And we have got to come to the point where the digital presence is going to support the printed Southern Cross until the point comes that there's only going to be a digital presence. And then we must be able to monetize the digital presence in such a way as to support the Southern Cross. Mm. Uh, and, and here I've got to be adding as well that the Southern Cross is not receiving any kind of subsidies or money or whatever from the church. We are totally self-sufficient. The only donations that we receive come as part of the associates campaign where people can basically donate to the Southern Cross, individuals donate to the Southern Cross. So otherwise the Southern Cross is totally self-sufficient. And that's also how we would like it. Once you take subsidies, well, they often come with strings that are that are attached. Yes, and editorial freedoms. Exactly. So mm. we don't really want to surrender that. In the long run, the Southern Cross will have to be a digital presence and be a digital presence in ways that are going to reflect the progress of these things. We can't just hanker after the past and think that we are going to be a print newspaper for the rest of eternity. I hope that the demise of the print edition of the Southern Cross is still going to be quite a way off. I hope there's going to be some sort of revival, a bit like with vinyl records, that people like to have something intangible in their hands. As I said, also as an expression of the Catholic being. It's quite difficult sometimes in a digital presence to maintain good standards of journalism and writing, in my experience. Very often, I think in print, we take a little bit more care in the research and in the writing than what people tend to do on a digital platform, partly because you can go back into it and edit it and correct things, and partly because of the speed now with which you're expected to work. So in as much as you gain something by extending yourself digitally, you also lose something, it seems to me. What do you think about that? Oh, I agree with you there. I absolutely agree with you. That's why I think that the content on the Southern Cross and of most newspapers is superior of digital organs that are 
only digital. Mm. Newspapers are still supposed, at least, to operate with certain standards, worrying about every comma, whether that is correctly placed. And that's what we do at the Southern Cross. I mean, we really worry about every comma and every double space and every word that is being published. We worry about, is that the correct quality? And on many websites, you don't find that anymore. But then again, on many newspapers, you don't find that anymore either. Many newspapers have done away with all the sub-editors and all the experienced staff, and they are now existing on junior staff and interns. And that shows as well, in the newspapers, there's been a huge deterioration in writing quality and in sub-editing quality. And then, of course, the question is also about facts. As you say, it is very easy on a website, if there's something libelous or slanderous that has been published, just to withdraw the article, cancel the article doesn't exist anymore. You do it in print, of course. You can't really go through every newspaper and scratch out the offending line. Mm. And that, of course, affects quality, as you say, quite rightly. Your sense of Catholic media in Southern Africa as a whole and the way that maybe the church should be moving forward. There's often this great debate in the church about the role of the Catholic media, ways that the church might get out there more and be seen and heard in the public spaces through media. Do you think we need a bigger pool of media in this country? Obviously, that means competition. But what's your sense of the future of Catholic media? Well, two things. Firstly, I don't think that having various Catholic media organs is necessarily a competition. I mean, spotlight... The Southern Cross, Radio Veritas, Trefoil, Worldwide. I think all those organs complement one another. And I think that if somebody reads the Southern Cross, they are going to be naturally drawn towards Radio Veritas or Spotlight or whatever. The same as somebody reads Spotlight, they are going to be drawn towards more Catholic media. So having various Catholic media organs, I don't think is a bad thing. I think it's a very healthy thing. The second part that you mentioned really is how is the Catholic Church succeeding in getting its message out, if I understand you correctly. Mm. And there I think the Catholic Church has has failed. Mm. There's been no vision, certainly since the fall of apartheid, there's been no vision on Episcopal level to get the story of the Catholic Church out. And we have seen the effects of that. The Social Communications Department, a commission as it was in the beginning, was downgraded till it was a desk and for the last almost 20 years, it has been basically run by a priest who also has got a parish to run. So it is not being run by a professional journalist. It has not been run by somebody who is dedicating 24 hours a day, basically, to getting the Catholic story out into the Catholic media as well as the mainstream media. So we have got people who are trying their very best, but they cannot fill that function when they also have other pastoral duties. And when they go and leave, well, nothing is coming out. So that is a huge problem. And we have seen the effects of that and how the narrative about the Catholic Church has been formed in the secular society. Mm. Of course, when somebody says in the secular society these days, Catholic Church, people just think, well, sexual abuse scandal. Mm. Now, people do not know, and even Catholics do not know, that the Catholic Church has done actually, especially in this country, has done an awful lot to counter the possibility of sexual abuse happening within the church. Mm. That story doesn't come out because who's telling the story? The bishops aren't telling the story. They're complaining that nobody knows it, but they are not telling that story. We are looking at AIDS, the response to AIDS. If you go in the secular world and you say Catholic Church and AIDS, what's the first thing that's going to come to mind? Condoms. Mm. The whole condom story. 
Now, that is, of course, a very important debate, even within the church. And, of course, there was a huge debate within the church. And very few people know what was in that 2001 document that was put out by the bishops, which was actually far more progressive than anything the rest of the church was bringing out at the time, except the French bishops. But if the discussion about Catholic Church and AIDS is reduced to condoms, that's a complete failure. Mm. Because the story should be that the Catholic Church has been providing 25% of all care for people with HIV, AIDS in this country. That mm. story, nobody knows about. 25%, the biggest after the state. What is not being told is a story about how the Catholic Church started to roll out antiretrovirals at a time when the government was still talking about beetroots. Mm. That story is not being told. Who knows that name of Sister Alice Monroe mm. and Johan Fillion? Who knows those names? Those people, in my view, should have received the Nobel Peace Prize. Mm. Never mind being obscure. The Catholic Church in this country has not told its story. The Southern Cross has tried to tell the story, but, well, look at our readership, it's far too small. Mm. So we don't really have the penetration of our own media within our own Catholics, and we don't have any penetration at all into the minds of people in the secular world. And so the secular world is dictating what the narrative is about the Catholic Church. And how can we evangelize when the narrative is sexual abuse and when the narrative is things like the Catholic Church is killing people because it forbids condoms? Mm -hmm. We can't evangelize like that. You point to something very important there, and that's the ability of Catholic media to balance truth in the sense that we need to face up to the sex abuse crisis. We can't pretend it's not there, therefore we have to publish stuff about it. On the other hand, there are people still in the church, in high-ranking places, that don't want Catholic media to be saying that. There was a cardinal who was a secretary of state, not the current one, when I went to a media meeting in Rome a number of years ago, who basically in his homily said, the church has been embarrassed because of what you Catholic media have said about sex abuse. You should have been telling the good story. And that's a paraphrase of what he basically said. But there's a fine line there too. I mean, we, we have to tell the truth. We have to face up. We have to look in the mirror and say, yes, this is a massive problem in the church. On the other hand, we also have to for lack of a better word, defend the church when the narrative in the secular media is being taken to the other extreme where suddenly every priest you meet is a pedophile. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I believe that by addressing the abuse crisis in a prophetic way, mm. in a way that is calling things by its name, we are opening up ourselves to engaging in that secular debate and countering what is being said there. There was a bishop in 2003 who told me, I open the Southern Cross and all I see is abuse, 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 abuse. Mm. I don't want to read about abuse in the Catholic newspaper. I know about all this stuff. And I said, well, that's very good that you know all this stuff. Your Lordship, I didn't say that. But for the general Catholic, for the Catholic in the pew, that is the only source of real information, of untwisted information that they are going to get in the Southern Cross because otherwise they're going to get the information from the secular press which does paint a particular picture that does not correspond with the reality. In the Southern Cross, we have tried to reflect the reality, the bad, but also the attempts to improve things. And there were always attempts. They were never good enough, but there were always attempts. Things like Pope Benedict addressing the Irish bishops mm. must have been about 12 years ago. That was a huge marker. Mm. And, and at that time, it was revolutionary. The man cried. The Pope cried because he was so upset about the abuse. And it wasn't crocodile tears. Those were real tears, I believe. Uh, so, so, so that sort of thing. 
was reported on also in the Southern Cross. And mm. at that time, it was pretty much only the Southern Cross mm. that was reporting on these things. But we had to be prophetic as well. So as editor of the Southern Cross, I wrote quite a few editorials in which I said, well, it is time, and this is now going back to 2002 after Spotlight broke, etc. cetera, mm. the, the whole Boston scandal broke. I wrote editorials saying, well, now is the time to clear the tables, to come out with what do we have what do we need to improve? What do we need to report? Et cetera, et cetera. We have got to accept that the core of the scandal is not so much individual priests who did awful things, bad as it is. I mean, it must be absolutely condemned, but that the problem, the scandal was the cover-up. And that is something that we said in the Southern Cross back then already, and many people just did not get it. I think that even until a few years ago, Pope Francis didn't quite get it, mm. that the scandal was the cover-up, mm. that breach of trust that was created by the way that the church covered up the sexual abuse, denied it for so many years, like that Vatican official that you are talking about. There was a denial that those people who were reporting abuse and reporting about abuse were seen as the enemy rather than as those people who are going to purify the church. Mm. That's only changed in the last few years. We still, I think, as well, have a number of other scandals which we're going to have to face up to. The question of the use of finances and resources and, and donor money. Um, I think that that um, is a scandal that probably is coming our way. And we've seen as well this breaking open, especially in Southern Africa, by the bishops, by the president of the bishops' conference, who's speaking about religious women who've been abused by clergy and, and so forth. So we've still got a long way to go. And this is a story that we're going to have to continue to live with and try and reflect as accurately and as truthfully as possible. That is our duty. I mean, I'm a journalist. Above everything else, I'm a Catholic, as Günther Smarmacher, but... I am also, in my profession, a journalist. And as a journalist, it's not my job to do PR for the bishops mm. or for the Vatican. I have to reflect truthfully and fairly what is happening. But of course, where there is bad, we can also always find some light. And we have also got to point towards the light, not disproportionately, but we have got to make people aware that it's not all bad, even when there is a lot of bad, like I mean, the financial abuse scandals. Mm. That is going to break big, and the Vatican is already broken big. Mm. And we had stories that, well, you just shake your head. And I was speaking with an Italian fellow not too long ago, and uh, he said, well, the Italian people still have faith. They have just lost their faith in the Vatican mm. and the Catholic Church because of mostly financial scandals. Mm. And that is something we've got to face up to. But uh, there's always light, and we have got to point to the light as well. Gunther, we're a small Catholic community we're a small Catholic media fraternity in Southern Africa. Do you think loosely there are already maybe ways that we collaborate, but do you think there's ways that the various forms of Catholic media in this country might collaborate better as we move into the future? It's a difficult question, exactly what sort of form such collaboration would take. I think the basis for that exists already in the goodwill that exists between the various Catholic media outfits. And ultimately, once everything becomes digital, there will be a time when we have to look at how do we not duplicate mm. and how do we cooperate and all these things? I think the willingness is there. I think the spirit of goodwill does exist between the various media practitioners. And I think that even among people who are engaged in media, who've got an interest in media, priests, journalists, other people who are in communication, there exists that unity in having the Catholic Church tell its story. 
often people get together who are interested in Catholic media and they express all the very same frustrations and the same, almost the same vision mm. as to what Catholic media in this country should be. So I'm very confident that when the time comes to find ways of collaborating in the most effective way, we are going to find those ways because we are all committed, firstly, towards good communication for the church and about the church. Last question. How do you think the work of the Southern Cross is expanding the horizons of hope? We do preach the good news. But whatever we do, even when we have got critical things that we report on, it is still spreading the good news because we are giving information to the people about what the church is. Whatever negative there is that we have in the Southern Cross, we've got so much that gives hope as well, so much that builds up in the faith, so much that is communicating the essence of the good news to the people. So I think that the Southern Cross, like all Catholic media in this country, I think, are the agents of hope, bringing people together, getting people to talk to one another, not having Catholics live in the bubble together. That unity that we have in faith, which is very important also in evangelization. You can't evangelize on your own when you think that you are the only Catholic in the world forming community. I think all these things is what the Southern Cross and Catholic media in general engender in terms of bringing hope. Gunter Simmermacher, editor of South Africa's Catholic Weekly, The Southern Cross, thank you very much for your time and for sharing with us on this podcast for Expanding Horizons. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Please comment and subscribe to our podcast for more candid conversations, passionate people and important issues. Expanding Horizons is produced by the Jesuit Institute South Africa with music and sound by Francis Tucson. This episode was presented by Russell Pollitt. Visit us at www.jesuitinstitute.org.za.